time for the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Roto-Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By M.J. Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Polyod. By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Ropey Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Frickers Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here for this Wednesday I Thank you for making us a part of your night for this edition of the show. Matt, how are we doing? Well, I'm doing good. I wish the happy 2024 to everyone last week, a very happy NFL postseason starting and Black Friday, depending on if your team made the playoffs or not to everyone out there listening this week and should be uh should be quite the weekend of football. Let me tell you what, we're, we're not going to address the travesty that occurred Monday night. We're just not, we're just not going to, I, I, I refuse to bring it up at least yet. We'll talk about it later with, uh, with Kevin, but <sighs> just breaks my heart to see Michigan get it. No, nope, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. We're going to, we got so much good stuff to talk about. We got a great show on deck. I'm not going to start by being sad about the outcome of that national title game. So we're, we're, we're going to move past it. Great week of sports, great weekend of sports coming up. And we have a dynamite show on deck for you guys tonight. On this edition of the NWO orthopedics sports auto from the Fricker studios. Well, of course, talk with Kevin Harris, meet at midfield, the comeback and off announcing to talk the national title game along with some of the things going on with the Ohio State football program. We'll also talk with Macomb boys basketball coach Glenn Meals and Macomb girls basketball coach Jeremy Her, and we'll preview the first round of the NFL playoffs, which will kick off on Saturday and talk about some of the coaching moves that have already taken place. We might not be physically at the Frickers and Finley, but stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day. Every day at Frickers, pick up from the carryout window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash, download the Frickers app, find them online at Frickers.com. And Matt, we both have some good uh, basketball games uh, that we'll be covering coming up this week uh, on Classic Hits. I'll have some more BBC basketball. Macomb will take on Elmwood. Matt Brown, I have that one for you Friday night on Classic Hits. And then on FLB, we'll have coverage of Fostoria basketball as they hit the road to take on Eastwood. Matt Common and Tom Grind will have that one for you on Friday. And as we were talking a little bit uh, during the uh, basketball game on uh, Tuesday night, you, you guys should have a, a, a quality matchup for Fostoria as they uh, have to go on the road to take on an Eastwood team that, you know, over the years is one of those teams that, they, even when they're not at the top of the league as they have been, they're definitely one of those teams that can uh, can be tough to take on. Oh, yeah. I mean, Eastwood is just throw, throw out the record books, throw out the win-loss record. It's it's just going to be a knockdown, drag-out fight. It always is. That That's just a good matchup for Fostoria. Good classic uh, NBC rivalry type of situation. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be a fun time. And I, I was kind of thinking about the uh, – there day it's it's been a minute since i've been to eastwood high school 
for any sporting event. So it's it's always a fun venue to go to as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Should make for a very, very entertaining game. And you know, hopefully Fostoria can keep things going. They seem to be going on a pretty good beat at this stage of the season and just gotta keep it up and keep rolling at this stage. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. We come back. Talk with Kevin Harris from Meet on Midfield, the comeback and awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners makes sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Tunnel from the Frickers Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you once again this Wednesday night. We are now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer from Meet at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. And Kevin, let's uh, let's talk about the national title game before we talk about uh, some of the things going on with the Buckeyes because, of course, the team that Ohio State uh, could have beaten back on uh, November 25th. They end up rolling to win the national title. As we were talking before we went live, I hate them. I don't like them at all. What are some of the big things you, of course, uh, saw from uh, from the national title game that uh, caught your attention? You know, it was really funny. I think, like, that game was engineered perfectly for, like, the mass amount of frustration to anybody who was rooting against Michigan because, like, it started off at first looking like Michigan was just dominating them on the ground, like every play. Um, but like largely, if you actually look at the rest, how the rest of the game played out, Washington really like went through and kind of like they stuffed Michigan at the line of scrimmage on the majority of plays. The two plays that they didn't um, were those two Donovan Edwards runs. And one Donovan Edwards has been just horrific all year, like like legitimately bad all year. Um, obviously he had those two huge runs against Ohio state in 2022 last year. So like he's a hero for that regardless, but he has been just, just horrific all year. Michigan fans know that too. Um, but those two runs, like both of both times they were, uh, seemed to be bottled up. Like the, the first one, especially like the 48 yard one or whatever it was the first touchdown, um, Washington, like had it bottled up. They just didn't actually wrap up in any capacity. Didn't make the tackle like that should have been a stuff and it should have been like third and 14 or something like that with them having good pass rush. But like those two plays were the difference and they were just busted plays. If you really look at it, like it wasn't anything crazy. It was just kind of bouncing off one tackle and running straight. So um, those two plays were the difference. And then Washington like had just uncharacteristic problems with their wide receivers and Michael Penix Jr. just like wasn't hitting open throws that he's hit all year. He's made freakish throws all year. And um, it seemed like they just had a combination on offense of dropped passes, uh, 
some off target throws and then like some horrible offensive line penalties. And all of them were just timed completely poorly. Seemed like at the worst time possible every single time. And then Michigan got the win for it. So it was like, it was the worst because like Washington was always in it, but they never actually could seem to just do anything right. Um, whether it was like a, an overthrown ball that should have been a touchdown or, um, you know, a, a deep ball that got taken away from a holding penalty, like things like that, just nothing really went right. So if you were rooting against Michigan in that game, I'm sure that you were frustrated pretty much from start to finish with the number of things that just seemed to go Michigan's way that, that game. Uh, so Kevin, first of all, ever since the game, I just wake up not really having interest in anything. And I feel sad all the time. If anyone recognizes the parks and recreation, uh, reference there and how, how do we fix that and number two more serious question with this being the last one of the four team version of the college football playoff i, I don't know I, I it's it felt like to me and i'd love your thoughts on this seemed like the perfect ending to this iteration of the college football playoff a lot of frustrating plays a team that not too many people liked just clearly being ahead pretty much from the jump and really just running away with it at least on paper and on the scoreboard and just kind of making everyone sit there and question okay this was the best game they could come up with and why didn't we have you know eight more teams potentially competing for this like did, did you get that sense at all during the game too it just seemed like the perfect ending to this version of the playoff you know i, I definitely got the sense that I mean, I I think that both of these teams deserve to be here. To be clear, like I, oh, yeah, no, I think they, that they, they were definitely the two best. Just it felt like there could have been more games to be had. There. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I I would even push back that they're the two best. I think that they both earned the right to be there. If it was a twelve-team playoff, I don't know. Maybe not. Like maybe maybe because I think a lot of people thought Georgia was the best team in the country, um, and played a bad game against Alabama. Um, you know, like the, there's there's definitely arguments to be made. Like. Oklahoma maybe could have gotten a shot too. Um, Oregon played well against every team except Washington. Like there are a bunch of teams that I think could have beaten, you know, a combination of Michigan or Washington. Like that's pretty undeniable. Um, so I like, but I also don't want to take anything away from the fact that like Michigan and Washington were both undefeated and won a semifinal game against all other talented teams. Like they both won all of their games, won a championship or won a conference championship game and then made the college football playoff where they won a semifinal game to get to that point. So like they earned it, like they did. There's, there's no amount of like other teams should have been in here or um, other teams like could have beaten them. And it's a, it's a defrauded national title. Like I, I don't really buy that at the same time. I do think that this does have a lot of people saying like, Hey, like this would have been a really fun year to have 12 teams because you know, there was a lot of parody in college football this year. And I think this is maybe the first season of maybe the entire college football playoff that you can earnestly say um, if there would have been other teams in the in the field, the national title picture, like the national title game might have looked different. Like maybe the national champion would have been different. And I don't think that's really been the case in previous years. Like um I think Georgia was going to win it last year. It was going to be come down to Ohio state and Georgia probably last year. Um, year before that, it was probably going to come down to, um, you know, like I, it was probably always going to come down to Georgia winning the national title the year before that. 
um, the 2020 national title where Alabama waxed Ohio state. Like it was always probably going to come down to Alabama winning the national title in that scenario. And I, I just think that this year specifically, there were a lot of teams that like, if you would have told me, you know, a month ago, month and a half ago, like, Oh, this team's going to win the national title. Like at a hundred percent believe you. Um, so I, I think that this year with the amount of parity that was in college football this year, it does make sense that people are like kind of ready to move on to the 12 team playoff. And, you know, I, I, I think, um, uh, I don't remember who was talking about it. It, one of the, it was the, it was a coach this off season. I'm, I'm not going to attribute it to anybody because I don't remember who it was, um, was talking about how everybody kind of expected NIL and the transfer portal to make the kind of the rich richer, like the, the best programs better, but like that, actually hasn't really been what has been the case um at least in terms of like like the short-sighted you know um effects of the transfer portal and nil really like in the since that's been a thing you've seen a lot more parity in college football um you've seen a lot more teams able to enhance their rosters uh, especially with players being able to move like you see it with ohio state's roster you get kids in um you have these highly rated recruiting classes you get kids in and then Ohio State kind of processes through half of them within their first year or two on, in the program. And all of those kids can go somewhere else. Whereas like previously, all of those kids probably would have been locked in to Ohio State for, you know, three to four years before they can go help another program. Like there's just talent that cycles through and moves around. It's kind of like the NBA where the NBA started kind of promoting trades and free agent acquisitions and stuff like that. You're just transferring talent through teams more often. And I think it, it helps some of these lower tier. And I say lower tier is in like Washington, Oregon, um, you know, Michigan or like Penn state, like the, that tier, um, not the like Georgia, Ohio state, Alabama tier, just like the next tier below. I think it helps those guys, those teams get a lot of like more talented players that otherwise might've just been like stockpiled on um, a roster like Ohio state or, um, Georgia or Alabama. So that is, that is definitely a thing that I've seen, um, uh, whether that's going to be a trend that continues, I don't know, but I think this year has shown that there is kind of a chance that there is more parity in college football than anybody really expected. And that bodes well for something like a 12 team playoff in the future. I think it's, everything is kind of timed perfectly for you to move into a 12 team playoff. Talk with Kevin Harris, right from me in a midfield along with the comeback and also announcing on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. From everything you've heard, what is the most likely outcome uh, when it comes to Jim Harbaugh, that he is still at Michigan, which we, I think, all think is very unlikely, that he goes right to an NFL job, or even that he maybe takes a gap year just to maybe let things kind of cool off from everything that's happened at Michigan over these last handful of months, based on everything you've heard, what do you think the most likely outcome is there? Oh, I would be stunned if he was at Michigan next year. I, I would be stunned. Um, and like, that's, that's not even like a, that's not a hater's opinion or anything like that. Like that's coming from um, a lot of like Michigan insider friends that I know um, I, at the end of the day, like our, our meet at midfield site was founded on, like a half Ohio state, half Michigan premise. So um, <laughs> like a, a good chunk of my coworkers and my close friends are, you know, very knee deep in, in the Michigan-ness of all of this. But I think if you would have asked most honest 
Michigan insiders or reporters or people with actual information or a vibe of the program, they would have expected Jim Harbaugh to be on his way out after this season before this season started. So that's before really um, the the sign stealing scandal before uh, really even the NCAA thing into the recruiting violations that they just got hit with a notice of allegations on. Um, and that's before they won a national title and he's really accomplished everything that he possibly could accomplish in Michigan. So like if that was the feeling before all of these things happened, um, I, I, I think that's certainly the feeling now. I think Jim Harbaugh has not been shy about really over the years kind of wanting to win a Super Bowl. He wants to accomplish that. Like that's something that he wants to do. Um, and obviously you can't do that at Michigan. So I, I would be shocked at this point if he did not end up at an NFL program next year. Oh, well, going along with that, um, from what you're hearing, any surprises of who might be returning to Michigan to maybe take another crack at another run at the national title. Um, how about legendary quarterback and greatest quarterback in the history of college football programming and the greatest meditator of all time, JJ McCarthy, anything from that circle. I I've, I've heard some conflicting reports about he might stay, he might go anything that you've been gleaning off of that. I truly have no idea what he might do. Um, that it's, it's really tough. Cause like, I feel like his stock is pretty high right now in terms of just like what he accomplished this season, um, you know, winning a national title, whatever. But like, I think weirdly the quarterback class next year is probably going to be weaker than this quarterback's class. So it's like, do you want to come out this year and, um, you know, kind of when your stock is at the highest, or do you want to try to roll the dice next season when, you might have a new head coach. You might have a new like system all around um, a lot of new players, not as good of a team, but the quarterback class by itself is probably considerably weaker. I don't know. Um, I think that he'd probably be a, some NFL team would talk themselves into him. And I think that he is probably a, he, he, he's probably a, a third round pick, like a, a second, third round pick. Um so I don't know, like it, it it just depends. I think a lot of it will come down to what ultimately happens with the rest of Michigan's coaching staff. Uh, that will probably weigh heavily into his decision, but um, I, I truly, truly have no idea. And along with, uh, with the Michigan stuff, uh, with uh, Harbaugh potentially leaving, do they promote from in-house or is it, uh, or do they go elsewhere for the next head coach for, for Michigan? Yeah. I, I also I also really don't have a good vibe for that either. Um, I think right now Michigan is solely focused on trying to keep Harbaugh. I don't think it's really going to happen, but I think that's kind of what their focus is right now. Um, I think like conventional wisdom would say that they would target Sharon Moore um, to to kind of replace him. Obviously, he was the interim coach that filled in for Harbaugh this year um, to beat Ohio State and to beat Penn State, like when when Harbaugh was suspended. So. I, I tend to think that that's where they would go. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, an, an interesting conversation. Like, would you try to go after somebody like Brian Kelly, um, who there's been reported that like he might have interest. I, I really don't know. I don't know what they would do. I think that's, they're kind of just waiting out to see what Harbaugh does first, because 
obviously they would like to keep him even if it's kind of a long shot. And switching gears a little bit to the far more superior state, which is Ohio. Um, they they kind of made some news on National Title Day, not for playing in the game, obviously, but landing uh, Quinshawn Judkins, which I think kind of caught everybody off guard that Ohio State was able to bring him in. Oh, what are your thoughts on that pickup in the transfer portal and how much is that going to impact uh, positively or negatively, depending on your opinion, what this Ohio State offense is going to look like next year? Yeah, so we that was one of those like as soon as Quinchon Judkins hit the hit the portal, um, I think I have a tweet that was like, yeah, you know, my team's obviously never gonna go after this guy, but like this is clearly the best player in the portal, whatever. Um, like I I think he's probably the best player to enter the portal this cycle, um, offense, defense, whatever. Like he's legitimately like I I thought that he was the best running back in the country as a true freshman, probably. Um, extremely extremely good good running back. Um, but obviously like things trended in the direction. Um, I, I think that he has a good relationship with Davis and Igbenosin, who's Ohio state's cornerback that transferred from Ole Miss last year. Uh, they came in as true freshmen together. So I think that helped Ohio state. Um, also just Ohio state's running back situation in general. Um, I, I think helped Ohio state. Uh, he has a chance to come and get immediate reps. I am very curious to see what happens with Travion Henderson. Um, because like there's conflicting logic there on one hand, like I don't really see how Travion Henderson like should come back to Ohio state next year. Like this is a pretty weak running back class. Like he's going to be probably the first or second running back taken. Um, and like what, what, what more does he have to prove personally? Like I get that maybe he just wants to come back and like try to beat Michigan, try to win a national title, whatever. Um, maybe have just a full healthy season where he can just like kind of actually build an Ohio state legacy that isn't just marred with injuries or whatever. Like I get that, but um, just in terms of pure NFL prospects, like I, I have no idea why he would come back. I think the, the thing with, with Judkins and Henderson that you might be able to sell them both is that if Travion Henderson did come back, he was going to be just like the guy. I, I know that Dallin Hayden exists and he would get his carries too, whatever, but like he would be the, it would not be like a one, a one B situation. He would get like 20 to 30 carries a game. Like it, that's just what it was going to happen. Um, and for a guy that like, you know, is a, a future NFL player, you might not want that. Like he, you might not want to get hit that many times in like a third quarter against Rutgers. Like that, that just might not be realistic. And you might be able to sell Quinshawn Judkins the same thing. Like, hey, if both of you guys are here, you're both going to play like essentially half the snaps. You're going to be like first tier running backs. Like it's not going to hurt your draft production or it's not going to hurt your draft projections, um, but you're going to see far fewer carries like that. That might be an easy sell. That might be something that they were both into like considering. Um, and from the way that I have heard things, I have not heard, I, I have continued to hear shockingly that Travion Henderson is probably considering or probably going to return to Ohio State. Like I've heard that for months. Um, I have not heard anything one way or the other following Quinshawn Judkins' commitment to Ohio State, but I have heard some things that indicate that maybe Dallin Hayden is looking at kind of exploring uh, the transfer portal after Quinshawn Judkins kind of um, came to Ohio State. 
So that makes me think that maybe Travion Henderson is considering staying if Dallin Hayden is the one that's like kind of looking for greener pastures. So all that to say, this is one of those, like, obviously that really screws up the Ohio State running back room for the future um, because both of these guys, to be clear, gone next year. Like Quinshawn Judkins and, and Travion Henderson, they're both gone. They're both going to be at the NFL draft next year. And if Dallin Hayden transfers, you know, you've got, a pretty barren running backs room, but Quinshawn Judkins, like if you have the chance to add Quinshawn Judkins and keep Travion Henderson, you do it. Like you just do. Um, that makes this like automatically the best backfield in college football by quite a large margin. Um, and when you already have probably the best wide receiving core in college football by a considerable margin too, like that automatically just like completely elevates your offense, especially when you are having, um, you had concerns running the ball with really anybody but Travion Henderson this year. Like I, that is a drastic improvement to your offense and a drastic improvement to your backfield, whether or not Travion Henderson returns. I think like largely as, as much as I love Travion Henderson too, I think Judkins just fits this Ohio state offense a little better too. So all that to say, like, it is a massive pickup, not one that I saw coming, but within the past, like five days or so, um, it really looked like it was, you know, Ohio, it was it was only Ohio State. Ohio, Ohio State was really the only uh, player in the picture here. So massive, massive pickup. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFB, Lance Morris, Matt Common talking with Kevin Harris, writer from Meet at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. Even though it uh, happened later in the week, we already kind of touched on everything uh, involved with Will Howard coming to Ohio State, so we won't need to kind of rehash that but there have been you know a lot of different rumors spreading online that many more changes could be coming to the coaching staff including hiring a real offensive coordinator to call the offensive plays and I think uh, at least for the hopefulest of Buckeye fans uh, with Mike Vrabel getting fired yesterday by the Titans that uh, ignited a separate fire in uh, some of those people so what can you say about uh, the coaching staff, is there going to be more changes and how, I guess, realistic is some of the things that have been rumored to actually coming true? Yes, all of those will happen. There will be considerable coaching changes. Um, the The first one was Perry Iliano, which we actually had that one first, shockingly. Um, we actually had some, some good sourcing on that, um, that Perry Iliano is on his way at what well, he, it has been, more officially reported but and confirmed by other national reporters. Apparently, Ileano is out at Ohio State. Um, he, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will, I, this is speculation, quote unquote, at this point. Um, but I'm pretty confident and would feel pretty good about um, Matt Gre- uh, Gariari of um, Indiana is going to be his replacement. That's, that's kind of my very strong hunch, if you catch my drift that he will be the replacement. He's out of Indiana. He was not retained on the new coaching staff. He worked at Jim with Jim Knowles at, um, at Duke. Honestly, like when Ohio state made sweeping changes to the staff a couple years ago, this was probably the guy that I wanted to come with Knowles. I don't know why he wasn't in the first place. Um, maybe he just wasn't open for a move or anything like that. They ended up with Ileano instead. He was a great coach. Like I, I, I don't have any problem with Perry Ileano. I don't think he's a great recruiter. I think that's part of what didn't save his job. But at the end of the day, this is just Jim Knowles getting his guy in there. 
um, who knows Jim Knowles' scheme, knows how he wants his safeties to play, like that sort of situation. So um, this is a, like, that's an upgrade for Ohio State. And it really doesn't say anything about like Perry Eliano necessarily. Um, I think that he's a great developer of talent. You saw that at Cincinnati. I'm sure he's going to get a good job. Um, maybe he'll go rejoin Luke Fickle's staff at, at Wisconsin. I don't I don't know. But um, so that's that's the one move on the defensive side of the staff. I would not be shocked if there is another move on the defensive side of the staff, but nobody's getting fired. Um, I'm not going to say names because I'm not going to. Um, but I think that Ohio State's going to bring in a co-defensive line coach, if I if I had to guess. Um, that will kind of serve as a like interim co-defensive line coach along with Larry Johnson to kind of help with a transition because inevitably Larry Johnson's going to be retiring soon. So I don't think they really wanted to push for recruiting reasons. I don't think they wanted to push Larry Johnson out this year um, or, you know, kind of um, have him retire this year. I think they wanted a smoother transition than that. And so I, I think that there will be a um, new defensive line coach, a co-defensive line coach, um, and a, a guy that the, the name that I'm hearing is um, a, a guy that's pretty comfortable being a co-defensive line coach, at least for one season. So um, I, I think that it, it's, it's a, a good move. Um, I think that's the safest move for Ohio state at this point, if they're not just going to like fire Larry Johnson and move on with a different guy. Um, hopefully it's a guy that wants to integrate the defensive line more into Jim Knowles' scheme, but that kind of will round out the defensive side of the ball. I fully expect Parker Fleming to be fired, um, special teams coordinator. He's not going to make it another year. I'm just stunned that he made it a second year as Ohio State's special teams coordinator. Uh, he's not getting a third, even though he got a raise after last year. Um, Corey Dennis, quarterback's coach, uh, Urban Meyer's son-in-law famously, he will not be retained. Um, he is on the last year of his contract, and so they don't really have to fire him. They're just not going to like rehire him. Um, and I think technically that will be the um where the offensive coordinator comes and fills in like if there is an open staff position i think the offensive coordinator will come in and fill Corey dennis's position but the offensive coordinator from what i understand whoever it is and there's a laundry list of names you can consider i don't have a good read on who that's going to be i don't think anybody really has a good read on who that's going to be um specifically at this point but there are a lot of names that could fit the bill, a lot of names that Ohio State's probably going to try to get, uh, try to consider. But that guy will have, whoever it is, will have full authority over Ohio State's coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, to make changes to that coaching staff as he sees fit. And so basically everybody but Brian Hartline on that side of the ball, you know, could be replaced. And I, I think that you look at guys like Justin Fry, you look at Tony Alford, um, you know, obviously Corey Dennis is gone, but like whoever the offensive coordinator is, is going to have full authority to kind of um, build his own staff. And so regardless of what you think about any of the other guys that are that are on on the staff, I I, kind, I tend to like Tony Alford a lot, too. But like it's just going to be a matter of fit um, relationships that that offensive coordinator may or may not have. Um what they're looking for in their coordinators and stuff like that. So I think that's going to be the big thing. And I, from what I understand is Ryan day is willing to kind of step back and let somebody else take over the offense and run the offense, which is a, a big step, but a definitely an interesting step. Well, would that willingness to step back include a willingness to step back and let's say, Oh, I don't know. 
Mike Vrabel become the head coach? Are we talking <laughs> that level of step back? And if he is willing to do that, I mean, one, how gracious of him, but two, like how much money between a buyout and what we should give to Mike Vrabel is it going to take? Because <laughs> you're telling me I have that I want to get Mike Vrabel. And I feel like I'm being told we have Mike Vrabel at home kind of situation here. I like I want Mike Vrabel, Kevin. Why can't we have Mike Vrabel? I you know, I think that it's a year too early for that, unfortunately. Um, I think that the Titans kind of ruined that by firing him a year early. There's no way that um that Gene's gonna do that right now, uh, before a new athletic director comes in. Like it the timing is not great. I also think Mike Vrabel is going to end up getting an NFL job pretty easily. Um, and he, I don't know if maybe if he, if he fizzles out at his next stop at the NFL. So like you just need to be rooting against him doing well the next like three years, wherever he lands in the NFL. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think the truth is as much of a Ryan day hater as I have been, Ryan day has done this off season besides firing McMurati he has done pretty much everything that I reasonably could have expected him to do. Like we had a whole list of things that, um, that we would have liked him to do to feel good about going into next season. And he has done almost every one of them. And I think my concern now, and like, I, I, I understand that this is tough to say after legitimately just like complaining about this for years and asking him to do this for years, I get that he is backing off the the offensive coaching staff and he wants to be more of like a CEO game manager, like program manager type of position. My concern is that he hasn't really actually proven that he's good at that. And so like, like I, I completely understand that it's unfair to like to, to say that when I have been calling him to do this for, you know, two, three years, but like Ryan day's asset to, the program, what he, what's gotten him this far in college football, what got him this role at Ohio State, is his ability to develop quarterbacks and develop and ability to run an offense and to call plays. And so, if he's not doing that, I'm not sure what he like functionally adds to Ohio State that somebody else couldn't do better. Like that, that's kind of where I'm at with that, because um, like his weaknesses as a head coach have largely not been with developing quarterbacks or, you know, running the offense or organizing an offense kind of was this year, but largely his issues have been with staff construction, with roster management, with recruiting, with, um, I don't know, like in-game decisions, like all of those things that like, aren't just going to magically get better when you hand off the keys to a different offensive coordinator. So that's kind of the concerns that I have is like, he's stepping into a full-time role that like, there's actually like no real evidence that he's particularly good at. In fact, I'd argue that there's plenty of evidence that he's not really good at being a CEO of a program, but at the same time, like you got to give him that chance because every coach, every great coach has had to do this at some point. Like every coach has started off as a coordinator and kind of gotten into these uh, situations where it's time for them to transition into more of like a leader of the program, whatever. Like, I don't know, maybe he takes a step back and he gets really good at all of the like, behind the scenes stuff. Maybe he's the next, next Nick Saban. And he, um, once he's not in charge and isn't spending all of his energy, um, developing an offense and calling plays and stuff like that, maybe he gets a lot better at game management and store and stuff like that. 
I, I certainly hope so. But that is my my fear with him stepping back is like, are, are you sure that like that you're actually good at this? Because I'm not sure there is like a lot of evidence that he is. And then last one, I got uh, just what's, I guess, the timeline of when this stuff is going to happen. Is this all going to be over the course of like several weeks? Will this take longer than that? What's kind of the timeline we should expect uh, some of these additional moves to be made? Yeah, so the um, AFCA coaching convention, um, the American Football Coaches Association, uh, they meet this week or they met this week. Uh, the convention was January 7th through the 10th. Um, in Nashville. And so my hunch, the way that th that usually goes, like that's a big networking event for um, really coaches in general, like they're all in one place, they can all talk to each other and stuff like that. So Ohio State is for sure sending feelers out and talking to a bunch of offensive coordinators while at that convention. And I get the vibe that they kind of are waiting to announce anything um, and allowing kind of the other guys to seek out other opportunities. Um, you know, whether it's like quietly talking to other coaches about potential other openings on other staffs and stuff like that. Like they want, they want to be able to have guys land on their feet instead of just like cutting them dry. So um, I, I think that those conversations are taking place this week and today. I don't know when things will be officially announced one way or another, but I, I think that Ohio state will want to make that move sooner than later. Um, obviously ahead of spring practice and spring workouts and stuff like that, which start in February. So it will not be a long process, I don't think. Um, but I don't really have a specific timeline either. I think that they're working on a lot of those things behind the scenes at this convention right now, because that's typically how those things work. This has been Kevin Harris, meet at midfield rider along with the comeback and awful announcing Kevin. Thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us all season long and We'll catch up, uh, I guess, next time there's uh, Ohio State news or something uh, in the world of college football. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Macomb Head Boys basketball coach Glenn Meals here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Everyday values are at only one place, Frickers. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings. Tuesday, traditional frickin' chicken wings. Wednesday is all about that steak. Thursday, frickin' chicken chunks. Frickers, where kids 10 and under eat free every day. Remember, draft beer specials, everyday values, and kids eat free every day. The home for money-saving value is the home for fun, food, sports, and spirits, Frickers. Morgan Advanced Materials has had a great 2023, and as the semiconductor industry soars, so does the demand for our products. The Fostoria Performance Carbon Division is scaling up our operations and expanding. We'd like you to be a part of our innovative team. Morgan Advanced Materials is hiring for multiple positions, including industrial and quality engineers, electrical controls engineers, capital projects engineers, EH&S generalists, and electrical project engineers. So come join our team that produces state-of-the-art electrical carbon products that are vital for our future economy. Are you ready to make an impact? Impact, make your mark on future generations. So apply today and join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Faustoria, Ohio. Call us at 419-889-1300 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. 
Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you once again this Wednesday night. This Friday night, we'll have coverage of BBC Basketball. We'll have the Macomb Panthers on the road taking on new league rival Elmwood. You can hear it Friday at about 7.30 on Classic Hits 96.7. We're not pleased to be joined by Macomb Head Boys Basketball Coach Gun Meals here in the Frickers Zoom Room. Coach, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk with us. It's, of course, your uh, your first year as the Macomb head coach after uh, many years as an assistant before that. So what was kind of the process like in you uh, moving down a few chairs to the uh, head coaching spot? Oh, you know, it, it really is uh, not a lot different other than just organizational. You know, I felt like your time was time was right. You know, I've been coaching for a long time. Uh, getting my starts at the University of Finley with Coach Kneekamp and Coach Ernst, and now at uh, Macomb, where I've been very lucky to coach with good coaches like uh, Coach Roth and Coach Latta over the years. And you, of course, knew you had some key guys to replace, including uh, Cam Glazer, Grant Jishong, just to name a couple of those guys. So what was the process like in uh, getting ready to uh, get things going this time around? Well, we were fortunate to have a uh, large group of returning seniors uh, this year, and so that certainly helps. Uh, we're we're hoping that, you know, that leadership is there, and, you know, you start to look at players like Mason Holman for us that has uh, several years of varsity experience. Uh, he's averaging probably around 12 points a game for us, uh, doing a good job of getting uh, – other players involved and trying to lead the team in a, in the way that he uh, should. And then we've had, you know, some others like Blake Whitmire, Parker Downing. Um, they're once again, seniors that have had a lot of on the floor experience over the last several years. Um, and then you sort of round that out with JJ Weaver. Um, now he's injured for us at the moment. Uh, he went down, with a knee injury against Hard Northern about a week ago. And then our remaining seniors then are Brandon Stutzman and Bo Tooman. Uh, well, and Coach, let, let me echo uh, congratulations on getting the job. Very excited that you were able to land the gig. Uh, this offseason, was there any particular uh, transitions that really stood out to you or anything that really from the offseason into the preseason – that stood out saying, you, you know what? I, I feel like this team is may, maybe early, but they're starting to buy in already into what I'm saying. A any particular moments stand out to you or was it really just a kind of collective through that offseason and preseason? Uh, the offseason was sort of collective. You know, I've, I've asked the guys to do a lot of different things. So one of the things that um, a lot of people will notice right away with us is we completely overhauled our offensive side of the ball. Um, We've probably been doing a lot of the same things for, you know, probably the 20 years that I've been 
out at Macomb. And so we've sort of completely revamped that side of the ball and it takes time. And obviously, uh, you know, with a late start with football and some of that kind of stuff, it, you know, getting the guys to buy in and understand that, hey, it's not going to come right away on day one. It, it's, we got to get on the floor. We got to play. And, and, you know, the guys have done a good job of buying into that. Talking with the Comb Head Boys basketball coach Glenn Meals here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. Looking at last week, a couple of tough losses for you guys against uh, Lake and Arlington. What were some of the things you uh, did see from your teams, both uh, both the positives and negatives in some of those games? Yeah, last week was a tough weekend, or tough, I shouldn't say weekend. It was sort of a Thursday, Friday, which is sort of unusual for us. Um, going up to Lake to play a very, very good Lake team. Uh, at their place on a Thursday night. And, you know, I think um, we were a little bit slow coming out of the gates uh, a little bit and and got behind. And then it just didn't go well up there for us on Thursday night. But Friday, I thought we brought our energy and intensity a little bit better. Uh, we played uh, with Arlington once again. You know, Coach Vermillion's teams are always quality they're always doing the right thing doing uh everything like a textbook would say and um you know we we played with them uh really the entire game with the exception probably of the third quarter they sort of got their lead and bumped it up to 20 points there on us and coach looking at the play thus far in the it in the season overall, I mean, BVC wise, kind of splitting it a little bit. It's been a couple wins, a couple losses, nothing, nothing too over the top in that regard. Anything in particular stand out from what you've seen in those games? I know, again, two and seven, not the best start in the world by any means, but, but like you mentioned, kind of a year in transition, seeing some growth and development. Even in those losses, anything in particular stand out that you guys did pretty well? Yeah, I mean, I th I think we're we're starting to grow better as a team. I mean, the 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 first part of the season, like I said, was was sort of chaotic. You know, we we had a short preseason um, and really entered uh, games pretty quickly due to the late start from football. And then you know we maybe played about a week, and then uh, myself and probably all but one of my six coaches got COVID all in the same week. And so we had them, a trainer and one of our players that all had it right at the same time. And so we sort of had to uh, cancel some games in there. It was, a you know, once again, that consistency that you want to have in practice uh, just wasn't there. So it was sort of like we sort of shut down and for a week, a little bit, and, and then we start again. And so, you know, you have the holidays in there. And so there really hasn't been that consistency, you know, of practices and stuff like that. And um, actually, I was just joking with my coaching staff uh, the other day that this week is the first uh, week that we've had more than two practices since before the preseason started. So, um, you know, we're getting our legs under us. And I think I'm starting to see some positive things. 
Along with McComb, Ed Boys basketball coach Glenn Meals here on the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Another thing uh, we've been curious about uh, talking with the various coaches is uh, their thoughts on the new rules this season with getting rid of the one-and-ones and having the bonus start at uh, five fouls each quarter as opposed to having things uh, uh, add up throughout uh, each half of play. What are your thoughts on uh, what you've seen from the rules so far? Uh, you know, it it hasn't impacted us as much as what I, I thought it might. I mean, it does change your thinking a little bit at the end of the game um, and somewhat throughout the game because there might be a time at, say, the end of a quarter where your team's sitting there with two fouls and, you know, the other team has the ball and, you know, with like six seconds left and do you let them take that shot to try to make a bucket or do you just keep fouling a little bit and and try to uh, take some of that time off to make it a more difficult shot and so you know I think there's some areas like that that it's impacted um, I haven't noticed it as much at the end of the game as what I thought I might but um, I think that's sort of the thinking behind it right now. And, and I would say, Coach, and I'd love your thoughts on this in regards to that change. It, it does feel as if it's allowed teams to how do I how do I word this correctly? Be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to their defensive play. Um, it, it certainly seems like I, I I've been seeing a few more uh, hard fouls or good clean hard fouls this season than I have in years past. Is that something you've noticed as well with the change that it's kind of open the game up a little bit more in the later stages of the like a quarter or half or does it kind of feel more the same to you no i would agree with you i think you you notice now it's a i think made it a little bit more physical um and certainly teams are going to be in your face a little bit more because we do have a few extra fouls before teams get into the bonus Talking with McComb Head Boys basketball coach Glenn Mills here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. We mentioned a little bit earlier, but Mason Homan, of course, a guy that's been, you know, getting time at the varsity level since was kind of thrust into action, it felt like his freshman year, and can obviously be a very dangerous guy, especially when the threes are falling for him. What can you kind of say about him and what he uh, helps bring to your team? Well, I think, you know, first of all, we look to him towards leadership for being on the floor as much as what he has over the last um, several years. Uh, so that's the first area we look at. And then obviously, I mean, he's a, a scoring threat. I mean, he can shoot the three and he started out a little bit slow, but I think his uh, three-point shooting is really coming on right now. Um, and so he's starting to uh, really get his shot back in line. And then, you know, the, the other thing that he's really worked on, I think, in the off season, and I think he's working on trying to get more people involved in uh, our offense and stuff and maybe not try to take, uh, you know, the 15, 20 shots a game. Instead, let's take more consistent high uh, high impact shots and then, let's look to drive and pass the ball and see if I can get some other uh, players involved uh, to be more of a threat. And uh, I think that makes us better as a team because we're harder to guard. 
Uh, so with that being said, anyone particular really uh, stand out as it seems like the chemistry is already there between Mason and them? Maybe a uh, Chris Paul, David Westridge, Chris Paul, Tyson Chandler sort of situation there? Yeah, I think Mason was really doing a good job or is doing a good job with Blake Whitmire, our post player. And then our other post player was J.J. Weaver, and I think Mason was doing a lot with both of those guys. Uh, um, unfortunately, as I said, J.J. Weaver went down with a knee injury about a week ago, and he's probably going to be out another four to six weeks, roughly. And then you mentioned it with uh, Blake Wittenmeyer. He's another guy that's been, you know, all across the sports the last couple of years, was fo- was a quarterback on the football team, is a pitcher and key guy for the baseball side as well. What kind of player is he to coach? Because uh, you, you call him a post player, but I remember his freshman year, sometimes he'd step in and take, you know, some of those uh, deeper shots. So what can you kind of say about uh, about him as a player? He's really working hard to stay in the post and he's really worked on his game in the post. And, you know, I think right now he's shooting, uh, I think he's right around 51, 52% uh, inside for us. So, um, and that, that has come down here just recently, just a little bit, but he is doing a good job. He was, uh, he was out for a little bit as well. And so I think his game starting to come back to him here again a little bit. And so I look for bright things for Blake as we move forward. With that in mind, looking ahead, move forward, you have a interesting game coming up against Elmwood on that. What, what have you seen on tape so far from them this season? seems like they're a little bit of a team in transition this year as well. Well, once again, you've got a, a, I always start with the coach, Coach Traxler, you know, has been around the game for a long time. What a quality coach he is, and and he's going to have his guys playing hard, doing things in the right way. Um, and that that sort of goes down to the the team, you know. they they're I expect them to play hard. Uh, we obviously have to find the Lens kid uh, for them. Um, he's number one i mean because i think he's averaging uh 20 points a game roughly for him so you know we're gonna have to find them we're gonna have to sit down play defense and then we gotta we gotta box out and limit them to one shot and and if we do that i think we'll put ourselves in a position to win that game talking with mccomb head boys basketball coach glenn meals here on the nwo orthopedics sports auto here from the fricker studios you mentioned it with Cade Lentz, obviously a very tough player, and I got to see him last week against Liberty Benton, and you know he was making a couple, a couple kind of crazy shots, and almost willed himself to get that win against a very tough Liberty Benton team. And you mentioned just that you got to try and keep him in check, and mostly does his work from the perimeter. But if you do give him, uh, give him the opportunity to drive to the basket. It's uh, certainly something else he can do. So how do you how do you look to kind of keep a player who can be, you know, as all over the floor as he is? How do you kind of keep him from getting to those spots? Well, I think, you know, our best uh, best way would be to try to keep the ball out of his hands as much as possible if we can, which is no easy task. Um, so, I mean, you'll see us uh, try to get creative and do some things to try to keep the ball out of his hands or get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. And with this game coming up, what is the message to the team, the players, and to the fans go go into that one? Because Elmwood, new team in the BVC. I mean, Macomb, uh, guys are a little bit of the uh, 
the old guard as it were nowadays in the BVC, it feels like. So any, uh, any messages to the fans about welcoming them into the BVC uh, graciously and with a lot of loud noise and a lot of loud cheering. Yeah. You know, um, I always enjoy seeing uh, new teams come into our conference and certainly, um, you know, I've known coach Traxler for quite a while over the years and stuff. And, and my son has uh, played a, some travel ball with uh, some of his kids throughout the years as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's always great when we get new teams in the conference. And I think when you look at not only our conference, but conferences around the Northwest Ohio, I think there's going to be a lot of movement and, and continue to be movement over the next several years. And so um, anything that will strengthen our conference and Elmwood certainly does that. So yes, I, I I love the fact that they've joined and they're they're a tough competitive bunch and we're gonna have to play our best to be successful. And then the uh, last one I got for you, Coach, you mentioned it with uh, your son, Brad, who, you know, came in and was really kind of the sixth man off the bench uh, as a freshman. And then last year, it seemed like he never was really kind of able to get quite in sync. I don't know if that was, you know, just some some of the football injuries or what you can really attribute that to. But And I don't know if he's played this year because last I saw, I didn't see any stats for him. But what can you say about Brad and, you know, what you hope to see from him, you know, throughout the, the course of the year if he is, of course, able to get back on the floor at some point? Well, Brad is, you know, he's sort of that kid that's sort of just sort of tough nosed, you know, he's going to go to the basket. Um, not a lot of things that, you know, when he sets his mind to it, gets in his way a little bit. So we certainly do miss him on the floor. And I think, you know, as when the seasons, uh, when we were preparing for the season, um, he was definitely going to be into the mix in a, in a major way. Um, however, you know, about a week after the football season ended, he ended up having a, a back issue and unfortunately has been a nagging back issue that, um, has not been able to clear itself. So he hasn't played in any games yet. Uh, we're still hoping that he may be able to come back soon, um, and see where we can work him in as the rest of the season goes forward here. This has been Macomb Head Boys basketball coach Glenn Mews. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time time to talk with us. Good luck against Elmwood, and hope uh, hope your team can start to uh, get some some of that positive, uh, healthy vibes moving forward as well. Thank you guys very much for having me. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Macomb Head girls basketball coach Jeremy Herm here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Findlay. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily Monday through Friday. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end of town and our newest location near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try watershed water. 
Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter a gallon. Try Watershed Water today. For all locations, go to nwwsd.org. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. We're now pleased to be joined by Macomb Head Girls basketball coach Jeremy Herr here in the Frickers Zoom Room. Coach, let's take a quick look back to last season. Of course, a great run to the district title game, including knocking off a last year's top seed in carry. Did that bring any sort of momentum, anything like that, kind of getting into this season? Oh, that was that was excellent for our underclassmen to see uh, and experience. Um, some of them obviously were on the court, and others of them are uh, stepping up as they were role players last year. But uh, that, that was that was building blocks for this year, for sure. And coach, look at those building blocks. Did you really see that momentum carry over through off season workouts in the preseason and training camp? And obviously certainly seems to have carried over so far with the seven and three record to start the year. Yeah. I, it, I mean, there's some games we'd like to have back, but you know, some of the games we've played have been with, with some <laughs> obviously good, uh, good opponents. So um I will say you can't really count summer, you know, with summer, it's, you're, you're dealing with a lot of uh, moving parts, but um, we played a lot of tough teams. We played a Toledo Christian team. That was obviously a state runner up last year. Uh, this summer we got shellacked, but you know, it was still a good experience for us. Um, you know, we played a very good Ayersville team early. Uh, I thought we competed against them. Uh, same with Patrick Henry. who's finding their groove. Now they have same record as us, but, um, we had that game down to, you know, two points, I think in the fourth quarter. So uh, our younger kids, and we still are a young team. I, I, we have two seniors on the roster uh, and Miranda Wells and Mackenzie Schrader. Um, and, and the rest of our team and a lot of our starters are actually juniors and we start a freshman as well. So uh, with that youth, them experiencing and seeing that, that run last year in tournament was exciting for them. Um, uh, they they got to see you know us accept the trophy at midcourt. Uh, we got to cut the nets, obviously. So um, that that was a big deal. That that was that was that was huge. Talking with McComb Head Girls basketball coach Jeremy Herr here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. So kind of going hand in hand with that, you knew of course you had a handful of key players from last season to replace Lydia DeHart, Madison Strader, just a few of them. So how much did, you know, the building blocks, as you mentioned, of, you know, last season turning into this season, how much did that help, I guess, the, the start of the year, what you mentioned, the summer, some some good days, some bad days. How did that kind of help uh, things get going as the season, uh, season started? Well, you, I think I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I would imagine that most coaches and most teams start with goals, um, individual goals and team goals. And, you know, we had the girls uh, really figure that out for themselves. And they shared that. I got a little techie on them, and we, we did that on a Google Doc, actually. But uh, we, we spent some time to talk about those goals, and we really focused more on the team goals. And, you know, I, I want to say at least three, maybe four of our players said they want to get back to that district finals game they you know they'd like to experience that again so it obviously left an impact um and then as far as how the season has gone with 
you know, wins and losses. I, it took us a little while to find our groove, but I think we are starting to. Um, players are having fun playing with each other. Um, we know our strengths, we know our weaknesses, and we try to, you know, obviously build build on those weaknesses, but we also try to keep those strengths in line as well. Oh, well, Coach, before I get to uh, on the court questions, go, going techie, I see. Will, will we be will we be adding iPads to the uh, sideline to draw up the plays? Or are we uh, are we entering the metaverse at some point here soon? With uh, so practice, how, how far are we going? By many people's standards, I am considered old. Okay, so I, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I've got twenty seven years experience in education. Uh, seventeen, at sixteen, seventeen of those have been spent as a coach. Uh, so. For me to say techie, you know, were iPads even a thing when I started coaching? I can't even remember. Uh, I don't know when the, that started. But it, that being said, I, I it was all old-fashioned paper, pencil, or we just talked about it kind of a thing. Uh, but this year, we wanted to come back to those goals midseason, and we're getting to that point where we were reminding them, you know, this was a goal you set for yourself. And are are we doing what we need to do to reach those goals not just on the court, but also in practice to make ourselves better, um, both individually and then again as a team. Well, well, coach, as a uh, as a fellow old old uh, person on that one, I I respect it. I, I'm a firm believer in paper and pencil as well. But uh, in all sincerity, though, at, talking about readdressing those goals midseason, oh, I know you mentioned it a little bit, but what has been some of the takeaways from your team? Where do they feel that they stand in regards to those goals, uh, both team? team-wise, individually, and just as a whole? Well, I think going on the road against an Arlington team that's 500, uh, we weren't much better than 500 at the time. Uh, that that was a challenge. You know, it's Arlington always plays as tough. They're a gritty team. And uh, we, we had challenges in that game uh, that we had to overcome. Um, perhaps we weren't playing our best, but when the chips were down, we needed points and we needed things to happen we were able to get it done. And that that is a sign of a good team. And that carried over into Saturday's contest when we traveled to New Bremen. Um, again, Mac, Mac schedule, Mac school. Uh, we all know that they, they have a very talented and very good conference. So we knew we had our hands full and we were able to come away with a win at New Bremen as well. Talking with McComb head girls basketball coach Jeremy Herr here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM, WFOB. You mentioned it with uh, the wins uh, over the last week or so against Arlington and New Bremen. I guess kind of a little more specifically, what were some of the big things you saw from your teams in uh, some of those games that they were able to uh, overcome with the different uh, challenges you mentioned? Well, just looking at the stat lines, uh, we have a pretty good distribution of shot attempts we have a pretty good distribution of really most of our stats our shooting percentages are up uh, from a year ago we're shooting uh, right around 40 percent from the field on the season um, free throw percentages are a little above 60 percent um, and and these are all kind of team goals we try to set a standard you know 30 rebounds a game we're averaging close to that um, so we're close to meeting our team goals from game to game to game um, and we look for trends in data and say, here I'm talking techie again, <laughs> but we look for trends, you know, what things stand out on the games we've won, uh, what, what goals are we meeting versus the games we've lost? What goals did we not meet? 
maybe there's a reason for that. So we got to work on boxing out, you know, because we got out rebounded. We got to work on, um, you know, work on certain shots in a game that we might see. Um, yeah, I guess we're just looking for things that we can improve on. And then that kind of dictates what we do in practice in preparation for the next opponent. Man, look at that practice, at least for this week coming out of holiday break and stuff like that. How has the energy been at practice so far this week for you guys? <laughs> well, practice this week, I couldn't tell you. I actually missed practice yesterday. Um, uh, for medical reasons, I was out yesterday. But uh, uh, I, I can tell you that last week, uh, the energy was pretty high. Um, uh, after beating Arlington uh, in preparation for that game coming out of the New Year's break. And uh, then, of course, I mean, we were almost on a two-week hiatus before having our next game. Uh, we had played Fort Jennings on the 23rd, and then our next game was the fourth against Arlington. So it was nice to get back on the court, but you could tell there was a little rust there. Uh, but then it was like getting on a bike because uh, we, we actually put a, a solid game together on Saturday. Um, so I, I would imagine that just from what my, my assistant coach has told me that yesterday's practice is pretty good. Uh, we have upper side of Valley tonight. Talking with Macomb head girls basketball coach, Jeremy here, here on the NWO orthopedics sports auto here from the Fricker studios. An another thing we've been uh, curious and talking with the uh, coaches is uh, the new rules for the season with uh, removing the one and ones and having the bonus start at uh, five fouls each quarter rather than uh, combining throughout uh, each half. What are your thoughts? Have you seen that to affect things as far as some of your games so far this season? Um, I personally don't like it. Uh, just being honest, uh, I think their strategy with the one-on-one, -on -one, um, I personally didn't see any safety concerns with the one-on-one. -on -one. I understand what they're saying, uh, but in theory, Right now, as it stands, you could have up to 16 fouls and not shoot a free throw. Um, I, I don't, granted, it's, you know, we're talking 12 to 16, um, but I, I think it's taken some strategy out of the game, uh, which I'm not, a, not in favor of. Uh, if you're a good free throw shooting team, if you have players that can create offense and get to the basket, it's probably going to be beneficial, but I don't think it would matter because those players are probably shooting fouls anyway. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I'm, I kind of like the one-on-one, -on -one, um, but I mean, we shot 26 free throws. Uh, I believe which, which game was it? Uh, it would have been Arlington. We shot 26 free throws and I think they shot uh, maybe half as many. Uh, so it benefited us. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, we're shooting six, a little over 60%, which it'd be great if that was a little better, uh, but it's not hurting us, I guess. So uh, a bit of a follow-up on that one. One of the things I've noticed this year with the rule change, it seems like it kind of allows for more aggressive play, I guess I would call it. Certainly more physical play than I've seen in recent years. Do, do you feel that that, has kind of translated now that coaches and the teams as a whole in terms of strategy because of this change, it's like, okay, we have a little bit more room to work with now because it set resets every quarter as opposed to half. It just it, it feels like the games are a lot more contact heavy than they've been in the past. Yeah, and that, I don't think that's a good thing uh, because I think it takes away from 
you know, skills that have been honed and developed. Um, now, granted, if, you know, officials call the game the way they're to be called, it's not going to matter. They're, they're, you know, a foul's a foul, right? So, but that lends to what I said, you know, before you could have six fouls and a half before you're shooting free throws or at least getting an attempt. And now you could have as many as 16. So it, it allows for more aggressive play, at least a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, I, 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 I'm just not a fan. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Not you are. I'd say you're one of the few coaches we've had that just doesn't, isn't a fan of the rule, but we, we certainly appreciate your, your perspective on it that much. I think uh, we can say for sure. Well, it, it surprises me that other coaches like the rule. I mean, uh, how are they benefiting from it? I guess, um, you know, I guess for fouls that over five, they're automatically too shot. Uh, you, you do have to be careful who you foul. You have to be careful, um, you know, how you play defense, make sure you're doing it the right way. So as you're not putting, you know, the wrong player on the line, that's going to shoot 80%. So I, I guess there is still strategy with it, um, but I, I feel it has allowed for a little more physical play. Um, and that's, you know, I'd, I'd rather see the skill, uh, not the, you know, the hands, a lot of the hand checks are let go, I think, as a result, because it's more of a standard as opposed to an exception. Yeah, and with, with those changes, looking ahead to your schedule a little bit, I mean, you already mentioned your game against Opera, Seattle Valley coming up. They do have a game against Elmwood as well later in this week. Right. Can you talk us through a little bit of what you've seen from those two teams thus far on tape and what, what adjustments or what things you might be looking to do without giving any chalkboard material or strategy away, of course. I mean, we, we, well, we all old school. We're, we're using tech terms, but we don't want to give any <laughs> locker room material away either. But so, uh, anything that you've seen in particular? Well, I think for both, for any team, I think you, there, there are certain things you want to try to take away. Um, and, and you can look at stats and stats tell part of the story, but uh, at the end of the day, you, you're never quite sure what you're going to run into. So the best we can hope for is you come into a game with a plan uh, and you don't want to change your identity. So you want to be able to do what you can do. Um, and a lot of it is count, you know, punches and counter punches. Um, uh, and you see how teams make adjustments and, some of our plays are kind of progressive in that, you know, there's an option one, an option two, an option three. Um, and, you know, our players don't always execute those options in the right order or uh, at the right times, but uh, that's obviously something we continue to work on. And offense is always harder than defense in terms of timing and uh, just everybody doing the right things at the right speed. Um, defensively, though, I think we've been pretty solid. You know, we're giving up about 10 less points than we score a game, which that's always the right, I guess, way to have it uh, if you're looking at it that way. But uh, Elmwood and Upper Side of Valley, they may not have the best of records, uh, but they're not going to come in and lay down. You know, they're they're both going to put up a fight. They're both going to give their best effort. And on any given night, you know, we're susceptible to a loss if we don't bring our A game. So, you know, the hope is we show up, we play our game, and um, – you know, Saturday we had uh, Hannah Sherrick stepped up. She was our leading scorer. And I think on any given night, that could happen with any one of our players. Talking with the Macomb head girls basketball coach, Jeremy here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. One of the other things uh, you have, you mentioned you uh, start a freshman. 
Well, that freshman's doing a little more than starting, and Morgan Kern has became, you know, really one of your major players already. How quickly into, you know, I guess prior to the season or maybe even at the start of the season, how quickly did you know she was going to become as important to the team as she seemingly already has? <laughs> well, I knew she was a good player. Uh, there, There is always a huge shift from junior high to high school. Uh, and, and I say high school, and usually that translates into junior varsity, right? But, uh, you know, in her case, she, she jumped that step and went to varsity. So uh, did I expect that she would be averaging about 20 points a game and seven rebounds a game? No, I did not. Uh, that's a, a very, very good surprise. Um, I think a lot of her teammates around her have helped her to reach those heights, though. Um, she, she's got a nice shot. Um, she's got some length. Uh, she's a very nice player. So, um, you know, I I would be remiss, to, and I think she would be the first to, to say this as well. You know, her teammates set her up for that kind of success. So um, she, she would want me to put a shout out to Casey Like as the point guard, uh, Riley Sheff, Hannah Sherrick, Sarah Ryder. You know, Kelsey's been hurt, but Kelsey Jenkins would be another one, Mackenzie Schrader. Uh, and then, of course, we have a cast coming off the bench that's just as important. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about the team. They work work well together. Um, I think I already mentioned we have a pretty good balanced shot attempt chart. Um, so, uh, you know, some of the shots are uncontested, some are contested. But, uh, you know, just the fact that we're spreading the wealth and, uh, you know, I, I, hats off to Morgan. You know, she's she's stepped into a role and. Uh, has really met that with with a <laughs> with a vengeance. Uh, you know, actually taking an opportunity here, if you want to give some more credit, I mean, Coach, not a secret, you may actually have one of the deepest benches in the region, the way that your team is built right now. So that that second unit that you have, what are some of the things they do that's just so well that you do feel you can rotate in, that you can get, role players and their people in at certain situations and still feel very confident with the outcome. Well, I typically rotate. Uh, well, I rotated about seven players and I would, I would have two subs that I would use. And then the deeper in the bench I went would depend on the circumstance kind of a thing. Uh, of course we do have the injury. So I've really done that with six. Uh, and then of course, again, with the deeper in the bench, uh, again, it depends on circumstance. Um, you know, I try to give 30-second breaks uh, to my guards if I can. Um, and then with the posts, which I, I say I have posts, but, you know, we're really all kind of same height. <laughs> we're, we're like around the 5'8 to 5'9 height across the slate. So I, I really don't have a true post per se, but I would say that, you know, uh, Riley Chef, uh, Sarah Ryder, and Mackenzie Schrader, uh, do a pretty good job running our posts. Um, and, you know, they're, they're bulldogs in there. I mean, they, they hold their ground. Uh, they play strong. They play bigger than what they actually are. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate their effort and, and I really love their, their passion for the game. I mean, they, they, they seem to enjoy, enjoy playing, enjoy playing together. Uh, and that always makes it easier uh, when you're enjoying what you're doing, win or loss. Uh, thankfully, we've been more on the winning side this year. And uh, last one we got, uh, and on a bit of a lighter note, we've talked in the past uh, that you've done different like songs as like pregame scouting <laughs> routines or pregame rituals. 
Uh, is that something that is kind of staying in the past? Is that something you intertwine every so often? What's kind of the uh, the thoughts on that? So, you know, I, I had not done that this year, but I did resurrect it for the Arlington game um, because, you know, the, the devil goes down to Georgia. It's just a nice <laughs> song uh, to get everybody hyped before the game. But I'm going to leave that to locker room talk. You know, that was <laughs> something we did in the locker room. Uh, we have a, a traveling trident that uh, the, the players take with us just for that game. So kind of make it a something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, thankfully they got to sign it this year. You know, they, they can sign the trident if they, they beat Arlington. They got it done this year. Uh, so, Coach, I have one more follow because I, I can't leave the devil down in Georgia without knowing. We're, we're using the OG Charlie Daniels band, correct? <laughs> of course. Okay. That's the, all I need to know. All I need to know. Just wanted to make sure we were using the classic. On that of note. Of course, w- wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> on that note, this has been Macomb Head Girls Basketball Coach Jeremy Her Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us, and good luck uh, against USV tonight and against uh, Elmwood later on in the week. Thank you. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll preview round one of the NFL playoffs here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Dawn from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true? That is true, Don. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no-obligation inspection and quote today. For over 100 years, iron workers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an iron worker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are iron worker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Iron Workers Local 55 Training Center at 419-382-3080 and build a better future. NWO has news. We are excited to announce the newest addition to the NWO family. Dr. Ryan Tran is a local who was raised in the area, trained by the Cleveland Clinic, and has returned to his hometown to care for your whole family, just like he does his own. Dr. Tran is now accepting new patients of all ages in our Tiffin office. Make your appointment today to experience the benefits of family care by a hometown professional. There's only one place to go. NWO. Saying goodbye to summer is less sad when you realize your favorite fall flavors are here at Bigby Coffee. Celebrate the return of our sweet foam pumpkin cold brew, pumpkin spice latte, and our caramel apple cider. Pair these delicious fall sips with our maple waffle sandwich or pumpkin muffin. Available for a limited time at one of the two Bigby Coffee locations in Findlay, one on Trenton Avenue and one on Tiffin Avenue. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFB Classic Hits 96.7 WBV on Lance Morris. Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from being at midfield to come back and awful announcing, along with Macomb basketball coaches Glenn Meals and Jeremy Herr for each joining us today on the show. If you miss any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well, and we might not be physically at the Frickers 
In Finley would stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Gets eat free all day, every day. Frickers pick up in the carry out window. Dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app. See more and to place an order. Find them online at Frickers.com. And Matt, before we talk about the NFL playoffs, let's uh, talk about uh, Black Monday, which of course uh, took place this past Monday, the day many coaches and or GMs will be given their pink slip. And of course, during the season, we had Josh McDaniel get fired by the Raiders. Brandon Staley, thankfully, was fired by the Chargers. Frank Reich also fired by the Panthers in the middle of the season. And so far, we have already seen Arthur Smith get fired by the Falcons. Ron Rivera fired by the Commanders. And then both shocked a little bit yesterday to see Mike Rabel get fired by the Titans as well. And there's still some teams in the playoffs that, you know, maybe they end up showing their coach the door depending on how uh, their season ends up. Of course, that still remains to be seen. So what are your thoughts on uh, some of these changes we've already seen uh, now take place here in the NFL over these last few days? No, well, certainly not surprising on Ron Rivera and Arthur Smith, um, especially the way the season ended for the Falcons. I mean, they were priming themselves to potentially win the division multiple points throughout this season, and they just laid an egg. And I'll be quite frank about it. I never liked the Arthur Smith hire to begin with in Atlanta. I'm, I'm sure I could kind of dig back through my old tweets or comments about it, and I thought it was a bad hire in that moment. And I think that still holds true to this day. And I, I think the Falcons recognize that it, Arthur Smith got a job because Derrick Henry ran for 2000 yards, not because of anything in particular, Arthur Smith did, but mostly because of Derrick Henry gets to Atlanta and completely runs away from everything that got him to that position. Potentially you draft him an elite tight end in Kyle Pitts, use him for a year and then decides that his third string tight end is better. You draft him an elite wide receiver in Drake London. Barely uses him. You move, I believe they even moved up to get B. John Robinson this year in the draft. And he still runs uh, Tyler Agilier as his primary running back. I mean, it's with all due respect, he may be the worst personnel manager as a coach the NFL has seen in a long time. And if you're Arthur Blank in the Falcons organization front office, you, you don't give a guy three Ferraris to watch him drive a Chevy Malibu. You, you know what I mean? It's you, you, you don't do that. You just simply do not do that. And then the meltdown he had about the touchdown at the end of the saints game, the, he he's just behaved weird all year. And frankly, he he's very, he's behaved very petulantly throughout the year. So I'm not surprised to see him go. Uh, Ron Rivera, that's just a matter of ownership changing and, and bless his heart. He, he tried to do as best as he could with the dumpster fire he inherited in Washington over the last few years. And I, I, I said it online. I'll say it here. I hope this isn't the last we see of Ron Rivera as the head of a coaching staff or a head coach kind of get the feeling it might be, but I, I kind of hope he gets another crack at it point. And and then for Mike Vrabel, I was shocked. I, I'm I'm still shocked. I I don't understand what Tennessee is doing. It's t- Tennessee is the they're they're the team that's they didn't want to rebuild, but then they gutted the roster and set themselves up to rebuild. But it seems like about halfway through starting to set themselves up to rebuild, 
they changed their mind and figured, oh, we can still contend with practically nothing on this roster but Derrick Henry. And that's, that's just not going to work. I, I, I kind of feel like Mike Vrabel got set up to fail in that regard. And the fact that he still made it a relatively competitive team, yeah, they did not have a good record this year, but the fact of the matter is they were way more competitive than they probably had any business being this year is a testament to how good of a coach Mike Vrabel is. So, I mean, I think he's going to find a job very, very quickly. I, I know there's a few more coaches out there that might be on the chopping block, so they, he might be waiting it out just a little bit. But I I would be shocked if he's not a head coach for a team next year and that, that team turns around and is pretty darn good wherever he ends up. I mean, that's the thing, especially with the NFL. It's... You typically, not that we we know every firing that's going to take place, but, you know, by and large, you get the feeling as the seasons progress that, oh, well, this coach might be on the outs when the season's done, this coach might not. The fact that Vrabel was fired when really no one thought they were going to be that good... It just, like you said, it was it just goes to show that something, you know, up top in terms of their upper management, just wasn't uh, clearly seeing eye-to-eye with the other people they needed to see eye-to-eye with because we've, you know, seen Vrabel do a lot of good things when he has a little more talent to go off of, aside from, like you again said, with Derrick Henry. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure we're going to see Vrabel take one of these other jobs that may or may not even be available at this moment because, of course, you still have some playoff teams or still are some teams that could make uh, whatever uh, changes they may look to make. So it's just that it's going to make things that much more interesting, especially when there are other potential jobs that uh, still could become available here, you know, within the next week or even two weeks. Oh, well, and I mean, I put it online last night late because me and sleep apparently seem to not see eye to eye anymore, but I I view it as Mike Vrabel's a top coaching candidate out there period i i mean there's there's six head there's at this point six head coaching positions available i feel mike vrabel should be at the top of the list for every single one of those head coaching positions and yes i know one of them's tennessee but the tennessee's full of dum-dums right now and they should consider hiring him back kind of situation i mean it's i i view it as that bad of a decision that they should even consider you know correcting their own mistake in this regard, but the damage is done. There's no way they're going to take him back at this point, or there's no way that Vrabel will go back to Tennessee. But I, man, I still don't understand what they're trying to pull there. And if I'm a, if I'm a coach or an aspiring coach trying to find a job, I mean, you and I talked about off air a little bit the other day that I think um, the Tennessee position is probably the worst job opportunity and job opening in the NFL right now. And because the management seems completely lost in the woods, um, the the press conference and the statement that the owner made the other day just kind of blew my mind. Oh, well, we tried to trade him, but we didn't want to put him in a position that he didn't want to be in. That what? <laughs> like, I know trades for coaches have happened, but but usually they, they're made with the coach knowing that that was like it's something they've already arranged. It usually well, just isn't completely out of thin air. 
Well, and here's the worst part about it. Vrabel, for all intents and purposes, he technically was not fired. This is the part that gets interesting with Vrabel because his contract was up. The Titans had no control over being able to trade him in any capacity. Okay, yeah, that, that, I, I, I didn't know that. That makes it a little weirder. Like, his contract was expired. I assume the reason they hadn't renewed it was because they were going to decide, is this a one-year prove-it kind of thing? Now that you have Will Levis, and now you have Tajay Spears as opposed to Derrick Henry, or were they going to renew him and keep him for the long haul? So that, that's the only reason I thought they hadn't done the contract yet, not because they were thinking of firing him. But yeah, I mean, it's... If I'm an offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, I I would run screaming in the opposite direction from that Titans job, which of course means Frank Reich is going to get the head coaching position in Tennessee. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that goes without saying. It's he, he and Eric Mangini will live rent free in every job, toxic job openings head for the rest of all time, because it seems like they just always land in the worst spots time and time again so I, I don't know i honestly don't know who'll take that tennessee job um i certainly wouldn't i don't think any of the really high quality up-and-coming coordinators are going to take it I, I think the titans are about to enter a really bad four to five year run here potentially and i don't think they have anyone to blame but themselves to be perfectly honest so if you had to uh, put your put your list together, I know you've uh, tweeted your your favorite guys uh, that you have for just in general for the different openings. But if you had to rank, you know, the openings we have, we'll 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 ha- include the Raiders since they haven't officially done anything, even though we think they'll go with Antonio Pierce for the permanent job. But we do not know that at least at this cur- current juncture. You have Raiders, Chargers, Panthers. Falcons, Commanders, and Titans. Do you, are you are you going to for sure keep uh, the Titans at the bottom? Where where would you kind of rank uh, these openings based on, of course, the talent that they have, and you know some of the uh, assets they may or may not have as well uh, lined up. Uh, so I'll just start with the easy one. The Titans are hot garbage on top of a sewer fire. Just it, in unless you're so desperate to get the word head coach in front of your name they're going to have to overpay to get anyone decent. Just as simple as that. And it seems like they can't decide if they want to be in a rebuild or a reload. That's the worst job out there by far. Um, I'd say the next worst, like it. So going down from number six to number five, I think it's the Panthers. Um, Management's willing to spend money, but it also seems like David Tepper may be this generation's new Dan Snyder in terms of just being a trash owner. So that doesn't look too good, but they do have cap space and there are some interesting young players on that team. So and that division is not great. No, the division is a dumpster fire as well, but Hey, my Buccaneers won it. So that's all that matters. Exactly. The point proven there. Uh, So I'd say they're probably the second worst, but there's a wide gap between the Panthers and the Titans in terms of bad job or bad opening. Um, number four, I got the Raiders. I think they have a similar problem to the Panthers where it's Mark Davis just seems to be a lunatic. And for God's sake, stop with the bowl cut. Just, just stop it. You are a grown man. Stop with the bowl cut, but not important. What is important is they have Devonte Adams there. It seems like Aiden O'Connell might potentially be the guy. 
and they do have a top 10 pick. But the flip side of that is it might just be Antonio Pierce, which I think is the route they should take. So I don't really view that as a true opening until they decide what they're doing with Antonio Pierce. It seems like the locker room wants him to be the guy. Fans seem to want him to be the guy. However, Mark Davis still seems to be fascinated with the idea of getting Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, Falcons, I have at number three. Overall, I like them. I, I mean, I mentioned the weapons that Arthur Smith chose not to use repeatedly. They do have a pretty good up-and-coming defense led by guys like Jesse Bates, the secondary, and A.J. Terrell. And they also have a top-10 pick. That That's a pretty good situation to be in, that you can really help revitalize it. The only problem is they don't really have a quarterback. So... It's going to boil down to if you make a trade for somebody, if you go free agency, or if you're going to use that number eight pick on someone like Jaden Daniels or Bo Nix or someone like that. Uh, number two, I actually have is Washington. I, I think the commanders are a phenomenal landing spot right now. A ton of cap space. Number two overall pick. New owner. You're going to get a new stadium here in the next couple years. And they, they've kind of washed most of the stink of Dan Snyder off of them at this stage. There's still more room to go on that one, but they're moving in the right direction. And then number one is your Chargers. I mean, you have Justin Herbert, a top 10 pick, an offensive line that's getting built in the right way, a defense that still has Derwin James, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack on it. I mean, there, there's a lot to like about this Chargers team, I think Brandon Staley was just the wrong guy for the job. So I I think that would be the top spot if it's out of the openings that are here now, because I think the Chargers might be the quickest one to turn around. So I kind of view them the same way. It seems crazy to say it this way. I kind of view them the same way as the Texans from last year. It's the, the Texans, you could tell were building it up but it was just such a bad fit with Lovey Smith that really was just going to take brain in someone like Demeco Ryans to kind of right the ship and obviously hitting a home run with CJ Stroud, but you don't need to do that if you're LA because you already have Justin Herbert. So I think that'll be a quick turnaround there. And that for me, that's why it's the number one spot that's opened currently now. If a couple more spots out of playoff teams open up, I think that might change a little bit. But out of the six that are open at this point, Chargers, definitely the top landing spot. Well, and the thing, another thing to keep in mind just with the Chargers is they also are looking for the GM. So I would presume those go hand in hand in some variety. I know they've already done interviews for head coaches, but they've, at least at this point, they've been the guys that have been on the staff. They interviewed the guy who was the interim coach and then Kellen Moore as well have already completed interviews for the head coaching spot. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, the process in which that goes because, yes, they've done interviews for a couple head coaches, but, again, they are, are guys that are already on the staff. So it could end up being they – hire a GM over the next week or two, and then that's when they get the coach because then you get everybody aligned in that way. Yeah, and I, I think that's how they're going to do it. I, I think um, I think Dean Spanos has kind of learned his lesson of hiring coach first and then GM second in that regard. I, I do feel that they'll get the general manager first. Um, 
that there's been a few assistant GMs and like uh, player personnel, like deputy player personnel people that have been discussed, I think would be really good fits. Um, For my money, I love the person that they have out in Detroit right now. I mean, you look at what they've built up. I think that'd be a great fit out there for LA. For the life of me, I can't remember his name, so I do apologize on that one. But even going along with that, the reason I mentioned Detroit is I think a really good candidate for the LA Chargers job is either one of the coordinators from the Detroit Lions, either Ben Johnson on the offensive side, based on what he's done with Jared Goff and using and utilizing players like Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, getting Jameson Williams more involved once he came back from his suspension, just the continued growth of Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I think he'd be a phenomenal fit. And if they want to go with someone maybe a little more up and coming, but working with that defense, I think Aaron Glenn would be a phenomenal coach, head coach in the NFL. Really gives me the same Demeco Ryan's types of vibes that you are getting from Ryan's over in San Francisco, where it's just, this guy is primed to be a head coach. It's just a matter of when he gets that opportunity. So I, I think if they pull any one of the Detroit combo there, I think that'd be a huge get for the Chargers. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Subtle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. It's Morris Matt Common talking NFL coaching moves, and now we'll transition into the start of the NFL postseason, and we'll go day by day. And, of course, keep in mind the Ravens and the 49ers each the top seed of the conference, so they both get buys to the second round Saturday, we have Browns at Texans and Dolphins versus Chiefs. And FYI, because I know people are already going crazy on the internets about it, the game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs is a Peacock exclusive. So be aware of that come Saturday if you are someone that has to have your eyes on that game. But of those two games, uh, what are some of the things you're uh, you're looking forward to in that one? Well, I'm looking forward to piratebay.com to be able to watch the uh, Dolphins-Chiefs game. That's what I'm looking forward to. Do not condone piracy in any way, shape, or form. You just did. I I did not. Wink. Would never do anything like that. I'm sorry, little mini rant about that. The NFL paywalling playoff games may actually be one of the dumbest things the NFL has done in a long time, and that's saying a lot. As much as I love my NFL, they have been drinking the stupid juice for a hot minute over the last couple years. So not important, mini rant over. But what I'm looking forward to, it's it's if the NFL really is scripted, my God, did they pick a perfect script to start the playoff weekend? I mean, having Cleveland and Houston, so much history between those two teams from the trades. And had you told anyone that they'd meet in the playoffs and it'd be Joe Flacco versus CJ Stroud. I mean, they would have they post- would have believed they would have believed CJ Stroud. They wouldn't believe Joe Flacco. No one would have believed Joe Flacco, but it's still such an amazing narrative. And I know there's a narrative out there starting to grow amongst Cleveland fandoms where it's like, you know what? We really won that trade. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't win that trade. <laughs> in no way, Just- shape, or form. I'm sorry, you did not win that trade. Joe Flacco in five games outperformed Deshaun Watson in his six that he was in, but has also outperformed Deshaun Watson in the 11 that he's played so far for the Browns. So 
however you want to spin it. Yeah, the draft picks didn't turn out to be amazing, is what they're saying. No, the draft picks turned out to be Tank Dell and Will Anderson Jr. That's a good haul. They're both considering good. how they've played so far this season. Tank Dell obviously done for the year, but the, the the narrative and the script of those two teams going at it. And I'll be honest, I think the Browns have a pretty good shot of winning that game. I really do. I think it's gonna be a very entertaining game. And then having the Dolphins versus Chiefs, Tyreek Hill returning to Kansas City. Tyreek Hill strikes me as a Steve Smith kind of guy. That he's going to do everything in his power to just absolutely crater the Chiefs going against them first time in the postseason since he was traded to the Dolphins. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that that might be the best day of football games is Saturday. And Sunday, we also have a, a pretty good slate. You still have uh, Steelers, Bills, Packers, Cowboys, and Rams, Lions. And, I mean, the the second of the two games, a bunch of storylines. Mike McCarthy going against his former team, even if there's not that many guys uh, from the Packer days that are still there with the overhaul they've had over these last couple of seasons. But uh, Rams, Lions, I mean, so many stories with, of course, the big trade of exchanging uh, Matt Stafford for Jared Goff, and now they'll be on opposite sidelines uh, this coming Sunday. I mean, that's that that's storybook because regardless of how it turns out, either you get the niceness of the Lions winning their first playoff game in many many years, or you have Matthew Stafford, you know, breaking the hearts of Lions fans again, just in a different sort of way. Well, and I'm. Here's the thing with that. Uh, Matt Stafford did not leave Detroit on a sour note. Oh, no. You know he what didn't. I mean? No, he did not. I, I mean, I, I swear to God, when the Rams won that Super Bowl, I thought Detroit celebrated harder than L.A. did. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, that, that's the thing. Detroit, it's... I give Michigan a lot of flack, and I stand by every word I say about it. But I'm going to say this about Detroit. That is a hardworking community that really does not forget the people that work for them. Then Matt Stafford, he gutted out so many years with that team and tried his best. So the fact that the first playoff game ever at Ford Field, that's not a Super Bowl, is going to feature Matt Stafford. Uh, honestly, I, I think the fans come away happy either way. I know they prefer the Lions to win, but I think they'll still feel good for Matt Stafford if he's there and wins as well. Uh, Mike McCarthy going against the Packers. Again, that's, the script just writes itself for this postseason, I swear to God. But that that's just a phenomenal game. And Bills, Steelers, I mean, somebody has to win that one, I suppose. And God willing, it'll be the Bills. So we'll see. Should be an interesting one on Sunday. And then Monday, the last of the playoff games for round one. And it's a barn burner because you have the Eagles against the Bucks And... Both teams basically got it on fumes. The Bucks had just a handful of field goals to uh, beat the Panthers. The Eagles lost to the Giants last week and got a little banged up, a couple guys injured in the process. So uh, same, similar uh, but different to how someone has to win Steelers-Bills. Same thing for Bucks eagles when neither team is uh, looking all that hot right now. First of all, you watch your mouth when you talk about my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did I say anything that was incorrect? 
the fumes part, I would slightly disagree they with. They needed field goals to beat the Panthers. They also won, what, six out of the last seven to get to this spot? They needed field goals to beat the Panthers. I don't care what you did before then. Not disagreeing with that, but they won six out of seven to get in where the Eagles have lost six out or five out of the last six. So I I think it's going to end up being a better game than people make it out to be. And that's not just me being biased as a Bucks fan. Well. Because I, I think you have a team that's extremely talented with Philadelphia cratering at the worst time and a team that is good, but not as talented as Philadelphia with Tampa Bay seeming to be peaking at the right time. So to be honest, it wouldn't really surprise me if Tampa Bay actually does upset Philadelphia in that game. Um, I don't think Tampa Bay goes much further than that, if we're going to be brutally honest. But I I think it might end up being a better game than people give it credit for going in. I mean, the the NFL does get to choose their scheduling and their setup for everything. There's a reason they picked that one as the Monday night game. It's that there is a reason that one did get picked for the Monday night primetime game. So which is it's probably end up being the best game. In terms of competitiveness. Like, if you want my genuine opinion, I think the Browns are going to beat the Texans in their matchup. I think Miami, as long as the cold doesn't get them, I think they're going to take Kansas City for a walk. Buffalo should absolutely beat the doors off of Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure Dallas is going to win against Green Bay. That might be a more competitive game. Um, the, the Lions-Rams game is just going to be fun to watch. I have no idea how that one's going to go, though. I think Detroit will end up winning it because the Rams need a little bit of help to get in. So it's the, the other games are kind of more predictable. The, that Bucks eagles game, I mean, that's a complete wild card. Genuinely, no pun intended because it is the wild card round. But that really could be either team wins that game. So for my money, it makes sense that it's primetime. And also... Useless fact that may only interest me. Do you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won two Super Bowls? I know that much, yes. Do you know that every time they have played and won in a Super Bowl has also been the only times that the new era Cleveland Browns have made the postseason? Really? 2002, Cleveland Browns losing the wild card to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tampa Bay wins against Oakland in the Super Bowl. 2020? Cleveland beats Pittsburgh in the wild card, loses to Kansas City in the divisional round. Tampa plays Kansas City in the Super Bowl and wins. Every time the Browns have made the playoffs since they returned in 1999, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won the Super Bowl that year. It's a weird stat that may only interest me, but it's one of those, this whole wild card is nothing but super well-scripted games. It makes me kind of intrigued to see what's going to happen because of that. See, it just sounds like the forces at B are rewarding you for liking multiple teams, which they shouldn't. That seems like a you problem at that point that it's a, I'm getting rewarded overall for that. We are talking about Bucks winning Super Bowls. You're clearly getting rewarded off that. I am. It's great. I mean, to be fair, though, it seems like the sacrifices that Cleveland cannot win in the postseason when they them and Tampa are in at the same time. So it does feel like a little bit of a rough sacrifice and trade-off to make but again it's just it's one of those weird stats that may only interest me 
But it's, I felt like getting it out on air to you, the listeners, that if you magically wonder how Tampa Bay makes the Super Bowl this year, it's because Cleveland made the playoffs, and it'd be the third time it's happened. Also, the third time the Browns have made the playoffs since 99. You could also just pick a team. You know what? I don't need to pick a team. I don't. Yes, you do. You definitely I don't. do. I do not. We're not we're not having this debate. We don't need to pick a team. You know what? Here's the important part. I have picked teams. Okay. I've picked the teams that I hate. That's what truly matters. Mm, that's I'll I'll let it slide, but that's not acceptable. Look, we can both agree that Pittsburgh sucks, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. See? That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's who's your favorite team? Well, I can tell you who's not my favorite team. It's Pittsburgh. I'm with you on that one. Just about uh, out of time here. So big thanks again to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield, the comeback awful announcing along with Macomb basketball coaches, Glenn Meals and Jeremy Herr for each joining us today. On the show, join us this weekend for our coverage of high school basketball. We'll have BBC Action Macomb against Elmwood on Friday night. We'll have that one on Classic Hits 96.7. And then on WFOB, we'll have coverage of Fall Astoria basketball. They hit the road to take on Eastwood. Matt Common and Tom Grind will have that one Friday on WFOB. And for my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Morris signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.